Amen. Yes, absolutely. Happy Father's Day. I was reminded this week by several different people who posted explaining how their earthly father had not done well, but their heavenly father had more than made up for what their earthly father failed in. And I am so grateful to my dad for what he has done in helping me and my siblings be able to come to Christ. And so as we're here on Father's Day, I, I, was, I was a... Um, knowing we were going to be traveling for three weeks, I really wanted to be here. And, and Father's Day, eight years ago, the first Father's Day that we had as a fellowship, I really wanted to share the Father's Day message. And then my friend Philip Telfer came in, and I was like, he has to preach if he's here. And so I didn't get that Father's Day message. The next year, we weren't here for Father's Day. It took me three or four years before I finally got a Father's Day message. And my, my concern with Father's Day was I had, I had learned early on that on Mother's Day, we say, yay, Mom, that's awesome. And then on Father's Day, we say, Dad, if you'd just get your stuff together, the world would be a better place. And that's what we do. <laughs> and so I had been wanting to share an encouraging message. And so today I know that a number of the families are celebrating Father's Day, so that's good. And I am glad for uh, the opportunity this past week for my coffee talk in Texas. I, I went and uh, had my father-in-law chat with me. So that was, that was a fun um, way of doing my coffee talk instead of just me talking. So he was my first ever guest that was not Stacy. Stacy has been the only uh, YouTube guest I've had. So I'm talking today about, and I can see that I thought this was already set up, but I'll set it up while I'm getting this ready. Here we go. And will it work? I used to do these where I'd make a slideshow every single time, and then I would um, put them on my phone and swipe through them and, and somehow connect it to the, the projector. Well, there we go. So this is the slide I wanted us to look at, is I want to talk today about a man's life work. So what is our life work and how do we how do we go about doing this? And it's not just a man, it's not just fathers. This is something that applies to all of us as Christians. And in the past um, month, I got a book from my friend Steve Stutzman in Pennsylvania, and it's just called There Is Much Rubbish. And there, is, there were thoughts and concepts in this book that have just, I've been ruminating on and thinking about. And so I went ahead and I made a, a slide and a slideshow, and when I was all done with everything I wanted to cover, there were so many slides. So I've decided that it may be easier for me, rather than try to cover every single slide that I had, it might be easier to just bring some building blocks from the boys' toys and, and do this instead. So you won't see all the slides I had, but you'll see me playing with building blocks. So. In Haggai, chapter 1, there is an account where 
the, as they're living there in Jerusalem, so some of the people have come back from captivity, and as they're living in Jerusalem, there is a, they, they're building their houses, they're taking care of their homes, families are getting established, but the temple has not been rebuilt. Now, permission has been granted, provisions have been promised by the kings, they can rebuild the temple if they want to rebuild the temple. They haven't rebuilt the temple yet. And so we come to this place where it says, Oh, I have the scripture here. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? What I love about this passage of scripture when I was going over it was the fact that he goes on and prophesies and he says, look, you guys are putting your money into bags without holes and you're having every problem you can imagine and you think you just have to work harder and try a little harder and it'll be okay. But I'm telling you, it's happening because God is saying, I am doing this to you because you haven't built a temple. And that's what you were here for. You're living comfortably in your houses, but you have not yet built that you have not built a temple. And so that's the, the challenge that was given to them. What I love about Haggai chapter one is they actually start building after they hear the whole rebuke. They hear the whole thing saying, this is why things are poorly for you. You keep trying to save money, it's in a, going into a bag with, with holes. You keep trying to do all of these things, it's not working. And so, as a result, God says, I am withholding the blessing from you. Now, they say, okay, we'll build. So they begin to build. The prophets, the priests, they come together, and they have to clear away all the rubble and the rubbish that is on temple where it was built before and they finally come in there they lay the foundation again and they begin to build the temple of the living God and so as they're building this temple and they're creating something that the, those who were there in their younger days and saw this temple when they were very small they haven't seen the, the they remember the old temple and what they're seeing is is distressing to them but they're building the temple as they're building the temple, they're finally coming in, immediately Haggai gets another word and he goes back. So as they start building, they come back to him and, they, they, and, and, and he says, the word of the Lord is coming to you saying, I'm gonna bless you. There's almost immediately a blessing when they start building the temple. And so they build the temple. Now, it does not look like my building block creation here, but it is, the temple was being built and I'm gonna create a temple with a bit of a court and a something of an archway here, you need to see, okay, there we go. There, there's, there's the temple. Okay, so, so they built the temple, and it says, in, we see it in Ezra, we see it in Haggai, we see it in a bunch of different places. You can read through this, these accounts. They're really cool. I was going to just read through all of them today, but it's Father's Day, and I thought we needed to let you guys go and celebrate with your family. So they built the temple, and then they continued living there in Jerusalem, all the families. And as they were living there together, there comes a day when Nehemiah is, is hearing a report over in Babylon, or um, let's actually, I wanna read this. So in Nehemiah chapter one, it says the words of Nehemiah the son There we go. 
is it, is it working? It's working kind of. Okay, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Han and I, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And so the problem that they're in is the temple is built, but the walls are not. So you have the temple in the middle, but the walls around the city are not. So there's still a lot of rubble. There's a lot of rubbish. There's a lot of broken down houses. There are some houses that they've rebuilt that they're living in, but the temple is built, but the walls aren't. And for us, the way we would look at this is in our lives, we have a personal place of worship. So if you think of the temple as a place where they would go and worship the Lord, we in our own lives have this where we establish a place of worship. And what was happening here is they had established a place of worship like the temple itself wasn't in fully in function. If you go read through it, you find that there were priests there. They were doing some of the work. They weren't doing all of the work. And they were letting other people live in the temple. And at times, uh, there was one time specifically mentioned where Nehemiah rides into town, discovers that they have one of the enemies who's been fighting against them living in the temple. And he goes and takes his furniture and throws it out and kicks him out of the temple and says, you cannot live here. That was Tobias. And so, so in, in, when we talk about God's blessing and protection, In Haggai, God was withholding the blessing, but in Nehemiah, the enemy was coming in and oppressing. And so the difference was that that not only do we need the outpouring of God's blessing in our life, but we also need the protection from the oppression that's all around us. And so Nehemiah's response to this moment was really awesome because he is far away. He has other responsibilities. His people are back in Jerusalem. They are over there. He's not there. He could say, it's not my problem. But his response takes us to look at a few things that happen. How do we respond? And this is where I find myself. And this is where Steve Stutzman in his book, There's Much Rubbish, he was trying to touch on this. And and this is something I myself have have looked at and I'm concerned about, is many, many times we work very hard. We say salvation is by grace through faith. We say you need to trust in the Lord. You need to come to Jesus. And so we have people that come, they trust in the Lord, they're saved, they're Christians. And then they continue to live in a very oppressed state. If you ask them, do you know Jesus? They say, yes. They have assurance of salvation. They might even be reading scripture. They have built a temple in their life and they, are, they have a personal place of worship that is good. They have a beginning of that, but their walls are broken down financially, emotionally, physically, psychologically, all kinds of ways that we as human beings, we need to be protected in a lot of ways in order to thrive. And so the walls are broken down. And so, yes, we're saved. Yes, we know Jesus. But financially, we're in deep trouble. We say, yes, we know Jesus. But physically, in our health, in our habits, in our lifestyle, we're in a lot of trouble. And so if we say, are you being protected in these ways? And, and then we look at our children and our and, and the families, and we see people who are emotionally struggling and hurting. And we see a lot of this. Uh, I see it from my background a lot, where there's sexual abuse and just all kinds of even spiritual abuse and other things happening, where as children grow up, they might look good while they're coming up, but then 
once they're adults, they're like, I am struggling so much and so many, some, some of them walk away from the faith, some of them, and it's hard. And so what's my response? Do I say, well, I'm saved, I'm good, so I'm happy, you know, I'm in the king's citadel in Shushan, so I am okay? Or do I do what Nehemiah did? Because what he does is he, he prayed for God's oppressed people and he took action at the very first opportunity. Nehemiah 1 verse 4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. And so what happens? He prays, repents. He's repenting on behalf of the oppressed. He's praying for the oppressed. He's owning it. He's 100% as much as if he was living in Jerusalem. He's saying, if we have a problem, I have a problem. He's not saying, I'm fine with them having a problem. And so this is something, um, in, when I got married, one of the things, first things I learned was that if Stacy has a problem, I have a problem. I can't just say, well, that's your problem. I mean, I can, but it's not pretty. So I don't want to say that. So, so I need to say... If, if, if she's having a problem, then I'm having a problem because we are one. And so then I have children. So if my boys are having a problem, I again, like, I have to own the problem. I have to say, that's my problem. And I have to get out of bed and put on shoes and go take care of the problem. I can't just let it go. And so I have to, it's my responsibility. It's in my house. And so this is what he is doing is that these are my people. And so when we think of the church, we think of the fellowship, we think of what's happening with the revivals that are breaking out in different places, we want people to come to know the Lord, but we also want them to be able to walk with the Lord and to not be oppressed. And so his next issue that he takes on is he goes to the problem. Nehemiah, he prays, he repents, and then he goes to the problem. He doesn't run away. I personally like running away. At least I think I do. I don't like what happens afterward when it chases me down and, and I get in trouble. But when the problems come, I think maybe if I just stay over here at a distance, it'll go away. It doesn't go away. It just gets bigger. And so Nehemiah, he goes to the problem. And the way he does it is he goes to the king and he says, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my fathers, 
tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And so he prays, talks with God, then he talks with man, and he makes all the arrangements necessary, and he heads to Jerusalem. So he heads to the problem, he goes to the problem, and once he gets there, he, he rides around the temple, uh, the, the city at night. He takes a group of men, and he rides around in the middle of the night, and he looks at all the damage. So he's surveying. So if this is the rubble, he's riding all the way around, but he gets to some places where he can't pass. He goes around, he surveys it all. He sees how bad it is. And so then, after he's surveyed the damage, he comes back and he tells them, let's build. So the next day, Nehemiah chapter two, in verse 17, it says, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. I like how he says we. He hasn't been there that long. He's been there three days, actually, according to the, to the account here. He's been, this is the fourth day that he's there. He says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Or they set their hands to this good work. So he says, let's build. And so what happens next is as they're building, there's a whole chapter where they're assigning everyone. So if, if you're living here, then this becomes your wall that you're supposed to be building. And so everyone is going out to build in front of their house. And as they're going out to build, there's a problem. They have two things. They have rubbish and they have oppression. Well, actually, they have, they have four things. Rubbish, oppression, attacks. They have all kinds of stuff happening. Nehemiah 4, verse 7 says, It happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. and There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And so we have two things happening. One is suddenly, not only are they dealing with all the rubbish that was left over, they're having to take up the sword because the enemy is coming in them. So I, have, I brought wood blocks because honestly, I didn't want to haul that many rocks in here to build a city of rocks because... They're working with rocks, I, that was too much for me. But I brought a trowel instead of a saw. So I have, so this is, Ben Button always talked about this. He loved this picture of having the, the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other hand. And they would literally have their swords buckled on and they'd be working and they would be waiting to hear. And if, if the trumpet was blown in one side of the city, they would all gather there. And so they were able to repel the attacks of the enemy. And so this is what they were dealing with. They had this happening with, with Sanballat and the others coming in from the outside as they're sorting through and there's so much junk. And they're having to sort through and say, what of this is useful and what is not useful? And they were trying to build the wall. And so they're trying to build it and they're trying to ward off the attack. 
And then they have one more situation that comes to them. They have not only the attack, they have, um, in continuing Nehemiah 4, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that one, with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. So they're re- resisting this attack, but look what the attack, it's not just an attack from the outside. Nehemiah 5 verse 1 says, there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren, for there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. And what was happening was that as they came in, the people who got there first were literally taking advantage of everyone else. Those who had money were taking, and, and food were taking advantage of those who did not. They were charging their brothers with usury, so there was interest loans going out. They were, selling, they were basically selling each other into slavery. They meet together. It says Nehemiah became very angry, and he dealt with this. He called them all together, had a great assembly, said, this is not okay. We've got to have everyone be free. We need to be taken care of. So stop charging your fellow brothers this interest and other things that is killing the economy here. Stop it. And so he's very hard on it, and they change it all. And then a couple chapters later, they discover the word of God, and it actually says what they had just discovered. They were not supposed to do this thing, and they'd been doing it. And so it's, it was interesting, but so they have this, they're literally oppressing each other instead of helping build each other up. So now not only do they have this problem with the outside, they also have, the, they're trying to build and then they're saying, but the other guys, the people that are working on the wall just down from us, they are actually, um, you know, they have all of our equipment and our tools and stuff because we loaned them, they loaned us money, we couldn't pay them back and so we can't be building because we don't have what, we, so they were having oppression from within as well as attacks from without and they had all of that and they had the rubbish and so on top of this finally Sanballat and the others are like okay so they really are going to fight us they're willing to fight to protect their city their rubbish but Sanballat and the enemy is very concerned. They don't want this. The, the accusations they bring against Nehemiah and the others is serious. They're saying, you're trying to rebel against the king. And, and Nehemiah's like, no, I have permission from the king, and I'm here basically on the king's business building these walls. And so let me do what I'm doing. And so after they discover that they were going to have to physically fight them, they don't want to do that. So what happens? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, um, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. And when he says I had built the wall, what had actually happened at this point is it says that they had built halfway up. They had gone to half the height that they needed, and at the halfway point is when the rubbish had started becoming a real issue. And so everyone was having, they, they were having to figure out what are we gonna do with this? And so they, they were having a lot of discussion and trying to figure out what they were gonna do. They hadn't hung their gates yet. They'd started, they were still bringing that stuff in. And as they're doing all of this, Sam Ballas says, hey, come out here. And as he's talking to them, he actually tries to make it sound, why don't, we, why don't you come confer with us and then we can help you with the work you're doing. And Nehemiah says, I don't want your help and I don't want your distraction. I have work to do. Nehemiah 6.3. 
I sent my messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. And so he refuses, Nehemiah refuses the first the attack, then the distraction. He is dealing with the rubbish and the oppression. And so he's going down this whole list. And then they finished the wall in 52 days. Nehemiah 6, verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So I want to look at this for a moment and say where, if, if I'm talking to us as fathers and I'm talking to us as Christians and in our home, how do we start? Where do we go? And what I'm seeing is we have, a, we have something of a beginning that we can see in looking at what they did. And in this account, there is something for us to learn. And I want to talk about that. So I'm going to go through these. The number one thing is we need the blessing of God in our life. To think that we can work by our own strength and work hard enough because we live in America and there's just that good of an economy and everything else and that we can take care of ourselves is not going to work. We've got to have the blessing of God. In fact, in, in the past couple of weeks, as I've been working on the RV trying to get it ready for this, there have been several times when I've had to stop and say, where is the blessing? Because weird things will happen. And, and then I'm, I'm grateful afterward. Like we had, we had the problem in our bathroom in the RV that the toilet, they had built it so high off the floor that it was uncomfortable for an, an adult. And I have four boys. And so it was like, for them, it was gymnastics to try to go to the bathroom. And so... Stacy was like, it would really be nice if we build out a platform or something here. Well, on our way down the other morning, um, we, it was, I think, well, it was maybe Sunday night. It was Sunday night or Monday morning as we were driving down. Stacy was like, um, the toilet's leaking. And I'm like, that's not cool. Not cool at all. So why don't you take care of it? I'll keep driving. Uh, <laughs> so we looked at what was wrong with the toilet. And I ordered the parts in, we got them down there. And so in the process of, of tearing it out, we were able to lower it down to a more human size, a more normal size, and got it corrected. And we made it beautiful in there where the toilet is in the bathroom. And it's nice instead of the old grungy looking thing that it was sitting on. So it was a blessing, but it took a day of my life. And, and so there's times when I'm like, I have so many things I'm trying to do, and I'm just really trying to write there's several things I'm supposed to be writing projects. Even on the way flying back here yesterday, I, get out, I work through everything, write down all my notes, everything. I pull out my laptop, I start writing, and we hit turbulence so bad that they have to make the stewardesses sit down. And then I'm like, I'm getting sick looking at my screen. So I, I close it, put it back in the bag, and then, this, then, then it all stops and it's really nice and smooth. And I'm like, okay, I think I can write again. I pull it back out. We hit more turbulence and it's bad. And, and I'm just like, okay, so I need the blessing of God. And I need protection from the oppression of the enemy. In fact, the week before we were leaving, as everything was happening with the RV, there was a time when Stacy came to me and said, you know, we keep having these problems and we need, to be, we need to pray. And so we did. We prayed. And our prayer is, Lord, we receive anything from your hand. But we say no to the enemy. We say we resist the devil that he would have to flee from us. We say no to all of anything that is not from God. And we say yes to God. And so as we were praying through that, there were several things that happened that were very frustrating, but we saw the hand of God in it. For instance, our air conditioning unit that I bought, 
It just so happens that along with all the other chip shortages that are happening, the internal box that you put on the inside is, is one of the things that is, is short. And I thought, based on internet reviews that I read diligently, um, that I would be able to use my existing air plenum on the inside and put the air conditioner on top and it would all fit. No, that's not the way it worked. I had to get the inside one. Well, nobody had it. Well, actually, they had one out here in Golden, but they had it on a work order for someone else's RV, so they couldn't sell it to me. And so, the, so the parts department out there was just like, we have one, you can't have it. Like, that's basically what they said. And I'll be like, well, so what are my options? Well, you, we have one, but you can't have one. That was like, they were so unhelpful. So I gave them a bad review, got calls from everyone else, but I, I found another one down in Amarillo. So Monday morning, I pull into Amarillo, and their parts department is, and, and, and I had ordered one online, and I was supposed to be able to pick it up Monday morning at 9 o'clock in Amarillo. So I pull in nine, 10 minutes after 9. I go inside. I'm like, hi, I'm Joseph Graber. I'm here to pick up the airplane. They, the parts department looks at me, and it's like, um, we just rejected that order because we don't have one. And I was like, I'm thinking, wow, this is a similar story. They, they're online their online inventory says they have it, they don't have it. So, so, but they are actually helpful. They don't just repeat their thing. They, they're like, so what are you trying to do? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to have AC. It's Texas, you know? And so <laughs> I'm trying to have AC in the RV. And so I'm, I'm talking with them. And this is now like Saturday, I had just felt like I was running out of options. And by, but by, we'd been praying a lot and you guys prayed with us last Sunday. And so, so as we're there, the lady is looking, she's trying to look up every possible part number that could potentially work for me, what my options are. So she's helping me talking this through. Brady, the next guy over, he looks at her screen and he just takes off. And about five minutes later, he calls from the service, from the service bay back over there. Someone says, I've got one. And so he went and found an open box one that was back over there. Somebody had taken the bolts out and he had it. He's like, here, we can have, you can have this one. And I was like, well, I need bolts. And he said, yeah, but what else do you need? And I'm like, well, I need the thermostat control module that goes inside. That's the other thing I need. He's like, okay, let me see what I can do. And so he goes back over there, finds another open box thing with the bolts and everything in. We put it all in. It doesn't have a low fan speed, but everything else works. <laughs> but it was, it was a parts department that was working with me and trying. And so it felt like, okay, now we're making progress. And so as I'm working through all of this stuff, the, the, the real challenge is that there's so much to do that my little punch list just keeps growing that from early morning to late night, I can say, I've got to be working on this. Or I can stop and say, I need the blessing of God. I've got to have the blessing of God. So I actually, instead of speeding up and working harder, I slow down and apparently work less for a moment. And I'm rebuilding in my personal time, I'm rebuilding the temple and I'm saying, I've got to have the blessing of God. I cannot have the creator of heaven and earth fighting against me because I will not succeed no matter what. So I have to come and I have to spend time in his word and I need to be praying. I need to make sure my heart is right. And then I have to remember why he put me on earth Four, it's not just to fix problems on RVs or whatever given week I'm in. It is to interact with people, to know people, to talk with people, to encourage others also. So I have to take time for, I have to make time for that. What was beautiful about it was being down with 
you know, all, Stacy and all her sisters and the sister-in-laws, they were all doing Camp Grammy. And so all 28 cousins were running around doing, doing Pilgrim's Progress. And they're having an awesome time of it. Well, all the, the sons-in-law and others are, we're around and we're kind of hanging close, but not too close because that's a lot of children. And, and so we're, we're letting their program run the direction it's going. And so I had someone help me work on this part and then, and then, uh, you know, Riley Chartier was like, oh, what's, what's going on with your house bed? And I said, well, it's dead and dying because it's old. He says, I've got three in my attic that I'm not using that I got and, and I'll bring them. So he not only brought them, but he wired it all in. So now I have like a, a much better battery bank than I did before. And so I had different men working with me different days and doing a lot of stuff. I still have one problem. My generator still doesn't run. And so here was, the, here was an interesting thing. On Friday morning, I was about ready to just go buy another generator. But again, it was one of those things where I sat down first and I, I went through all of, I was thinking about this morning. I worked through, I, I made sure I had the time. I worked out the sermon notes. I was working through all this stuff. And I was seeking the Lord's face. And as I was doing that, I, I had found the night before, I had found some generators on Facebook Marketplace and I thought I could buy one of those that's already running, swap it out, put mine in the back bay underneath there, bring it back here, and when I have lots of time, I'll repair it and just sell it or something. So that's where I was headed. So I get on there, and now the guy is responding. He says, yes, I have it. It's running. Do you have one? I'm like, yes, I have an old one. Okay, what's wrong with it? So I start telling him. So he's coaching me from his shop on every possible problem that can be with this generator and what I need to do next. And so he's like, I know I could sell you an, a generator, but I'd rather have you be able, you have, you have a lot of life left in yours and I want you to run. And so, his, so it's still not running because I'm waiting on parts now, but like it was God at work expediting because Stacy was like, why don't you talk to someone? I said, I don't know who to talk to. Every time I ask someone at an RV place, they're like, um, like I had a phone number from someone and I tried, I left messages with them. They're like, he's the only guy that knows those generators. And so everybody is, and so I'm stuck not knowing, but with the blessing of God, there's connections that can be made and he can actually provide. And so I'm first focusing here. The second part then goes out into all of those areas. The building, the wall of protection out here, this is where I look at my family and I look at my sons and I say, God has called us to be able to travel, to be able to meet with people. Therefore, I have to have a space that is safe and that works for my family. And so now, once I have taken care of the temple and have the place of worship in place, now I'm coming out and I'm saying, it's time to build up the wall. And so now I can build the wall and I can continue building all the way around. And as I'm building, this is something that in the book, there is much rubbish that Steve Stutzman talks about. I, I really feel strongly about this. We have in our life, things that were handed down to us by our families of origin. Our families of origin gave us things that are good. There are family traditions, even church traditions, and things that are good. But when they were out here, the pile of rubbish that they were standing on was full of all the rocks that a master craftsman had cut specifically to build a wall around Jerusalem. All the, wall, all the rocks that they needed were in that pile of rubble and rubbish. Someone had gone through and had cut out rocks and had built it 
where they, you could make a complete wall. The problem was they had used a lot of mortar and other things. Now they had been broken down and you couldn't tell, is this the rock for here or is it there? How much mortar is on here? What? It doesn't fit together anymore. And so before you could build again, you had to chip off the old mortar. You had to get rid of the man-made rock and you had to work with the real rock, the treasure that's there. So for instance, for us to build our wall of protection, we start two ways. We start, we start in the same way that Nehemiah did. We, start, we survey the walls, we say, how bad is it? So if you look around your family, so as a, as a father, I look around my family and I say, well, physically, they're not dying right now. Okay, that's a good thing. That, so we're okay right now. Okay, we have food for tomorrow, yes, we have food. Okay, we're good there. All right, do we have a place to sleep tonight? Yes, we have that. So I'm taking care of physical needs. But then I go farther and I say, is my son loved? Does he know the love of parents and of a father? Does he have that? Does my son have a guilty conscience that he needs help to cleanse? Does he need to be able to confess things? What's happening in my son's life? Is he understanding who God is? Is he understanding how to love his brother, how to be in, interacting with others? So now I'm working on this side of it. Now this gets into emotional, spiritual, psychological, all kinds of things. But I'm working with him and I'm wanting each of my sons to be protected. I'm looking at my wife going, is she protected in all of these ways? Is she able to thrive here? Because if, if I'm not taking up the sword and the trowel to, do the, to, to be building and to fighting, then what will happen is we will be running and hiding. And so emotionally there's times when I am running and hiding from, my, from, from problems instead of walking out to address them. And so... I have to look at where is the enemy able to oppress us, and if it's financially, I need to spend extra time looking at the finances. If there's physical pain that's being brought to us, I need to figure out what's going on and do something with it. And so each of these areas, I'm surveying, saying, how are we doing? And so this is a simple question that I ask my little boys. I say, how's your heart? And like even William at two years old, he knows to tell me that his heart is happy or his heart is sad. Um, he hasn't yet told me his heart is mad. His older brother used to do that. My heart is mad. All right, well now at least we know that. So let's keep moving and find out what else is going on. But once I survey things and I see how bad it is or how good it is, this is the point where I have to choose, I have to decide, I have to commit to rebuild. It's a conscious decision. You can't just accidentally get it right. And so if in the past we've been making financial problems, they will not correct themselves. Financial mistakes don't correct themselves. We have to correct them. It takes conscious effort. If we are not loving our spouse or our children in a way that they can sense the love, it takes conscious effort. We don't just slide around and suddenly, oh, the wall is built, that's nice. It takes a decision. It takes real work because it's discouraging. When we actually look at the state of everything in, we say, wait a minute, so I have to die to myself over and over and over again and I have to reach out to people. I have, this is hard. And so it's necessary for me to choose, to decide. And so Nehemiah says, I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. So imagine if Nehemiah had just gone out at night and started building secretly and just tried to be like, okay, I'm going to work over here. Hopefully no one will see anything that's going on. I'm just going to work over here. And then all the people in here, the, the leaders would have been like, what 
are you doing? Are you trying to subvert us? Like he could have made a lot more enemies, but as he did it, he came in, he clearly understood the problem, and then he went and brought everyone on board. So in the, in the metaphor of the father, this is, this is my wife. She's standing here surveying everything with me. She sees it, and here's the problem as a dad. This is the part that I don't enjoy. Not only do I have to survey the walls and tell my wife what I think is broken and what needs to be built, I have to listen to what she thinks is broken. And if she thinks it's, because I can be like, oh look, we have a huge gaping hole over here and I'm working on fixing this. And way back here in the back, there can be one little hole where the fox is coming in and eating the chickens and this is all she can talk about. And she's worried about the fox and the chickens and I'm like, don't bother me right now, don't bother me, I'm building a wall, I'm doing a good work, don't, don't. And, but it, if this hole stays open, it doesn't really matter if I have all of the rest of the wall built. I've got to close up this hole as well. And so it's important for me to be humble enough to be able to hear what she's saying and to be able to listen to it. But now, this prayer, I, I talked a little bit about praying. When, when, when the enemy came up, there is a prayer here. He says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And so they were working. They're building this wall up to half its height. The enemy comes. He prays, and he keeps building. He doesn't stop. Just because someone says, hey, I don't like the way you're being a parent, your parenting stinks, that's no reason to stop. You have to, you're still a parent. You're still a father. You're still a provider. As a man, you're still responsible for the provision for your family. And so as you're doing all of this, this is necessary, it's important, you've got to keep building. The enemy will come in and try to stop you. So we pray against the enemy, we keep building. We have to deal with the rubbish. And this is the hard part. For anyone who comes from a Christian home, you have so many good building blocks, things your parents did on purpose. And so they did this on purpose, but with it, they put all their mortar on to make it fit into their wall. You're now standing there, you still have the rocks that they had, but it's kind of been blown up a bit. It's fallen apart. You're picking up the good things your parents had and you're trying to refit it back together and say, how does this fit? And you, you discover you don't like the man-made portions. They're hard to build with. And so you ha you're getting rid of some of the traditions. You're having to get rid of some of the habits. You're getting rid of some of the mindsets that have been in your family for generations. And where do you go to correct it? You have to, as Romans 12, 1, you have to have a renewing of your mind. You need to be so committed. Be I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you submit your bodies a living sacrifice. And that as we do that, we are being renewed day by day. That's what we're doing. We wanna get rid of the old rubbish and we wanna rebuild the wall so that there is a good, strong wall all the way around and we have actual, strong, uh, actual strength for our families and that we are able to take care of things. We don't want to have the old rubbish still here because what will happen is, I get over here and I'm like, you know, we've always done it this way, but it doesn't really work as a wall. So I'm just gonna kind of leave a pile of my traditions and habits over there and hope it kind of works. It doesn't really work as a wall, but it's, it's what happens automatically. Our parents did something and 
they hurt me, so why do I do something different for my children? The reason we do is because we say, God says I am to be, as a father, I am to love my children. I am to nurture them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I am not to provoke them to wrath. I am supposed to be encouraging them in their faith. And so I am going to take the time to chip off the old mortar. I'm going to take the time, and this is what I love about the renewing your mind, and I'm looking forward to going through this when, we, when I come back in July. We get to go through Romans 12 there and go through the renewing of our minds. What I love about the renewing of our mind is that there is a, our brains can literally, to the day we die, can learn new tricks. We can, old things can pass away, new things can be made in our brain. We can get rid of old um, so, for instance, if, you're, if you have a habit, it doesn't matter how old the habit is, how strong the habit is, that habit can be replaced with a good habit. You can have a new life. And so that is what we're looking for. We're trying to find a place where not only are we building a wall that protects our family, we're also trying to make it to where we're doing all of the things, we're, we're dealing with the rubbish, we're taking care of all of that. So this is important. Now, here's, here's the picture that my friend Steve said. Let's say that this area right here was your area that you were supposed to be building on. And you get there, and there is not only the big rocks, but there's all kinds of little rocks. And you look down, and you're like, well, I'm on the edge of a cliff. Let's just get rid of it all and start over. So you grew up in a, in a Christian home. Your parents had some semblance of religion. You come along, and you say, you know what? It would be easier for me to just get rid of it all, and so you just push it off. And then you say, now how am I gonna build this? I need building supplies. Oh, I pushed them all off the edge. Well now, instead of just chipping off mortar, you're having to climb down the mountain and go get your supplies again and dig up the pieces that are actually of use and it might take you a lifetime to rebuild the very things that your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents had already been building for a lifetime. And if you could have had the wisdom and the grace to just get rid of the man-made part of it and to correct toward God, you would have saved a lot of grief. And so this is our, this is our picture of how we can interact with the walls, we have to have our little place of worship, the spot that we have, where we have protected ourselves. Once the wall, as we're building the wall, once the wall is built, an amazing part of it that is so frustrating to me is that you always have to keep building and keep working on your wall. You're never quite finished. It's always something that needs to be happening. And so you can't just build it and say, well, I did it once. You know, it's like that thing um, with, with when you, where you tell your spouse you love them and the, the old joke about what the guy says, well, I told her on our wedding day. If it ever changes, I'll let her know. It's, it's not like that. We can't just do it once and we're done. It's the rest of our life we are working on this. And so constantly there is an enemy who doesn't like what we're doing. And we have to keep building. So we have to carry our weapon. You know, the, I love that passage that 
from Second um, Corinthians 6 that we read this morning. And then there's Ephesians 6, uh, where we have the, the weapons of our warfare. We need to carry these things. But what I also found fascinating in thinking about this is that not only do we have to be watching outside, we have to search ourselves and say, am I oppressing the very person that I'm supposed to be nurturing and taking care of? Because this happens where a father in his zeal to do the right thing will somehow miss the fact that his child also is an emotional being. And so next thing you know, you have not only the emotional being, but you have, you have a lot of other things happening to where the child is hurting. Outwardly, the wall is built and the child is walking where they need to walk. Inwardly, the child is hurting and struggling. And so we need to have we need to be rebuilding in all of these areas. So this is, this is the picture that as I was looking at Nehemiah and thinking about Father's Day, I was thinking, what do we need to have? We need to have a picture to understand because when I look at this, I can see that even if I have a big, beautiful wall here that is perfectly built, so maybe I have all of my finances in order, but over here, I have zero emotional connection to my child or my spouse. There is a hole in the wall. If I have all of this fixed here and I have a nice, have all of a good emotional connection, but I have not protected my children from spiritual oppression, then I have this problem. I still have a hole in the wall. It doesn't mean that they are not necessarily saved and going to heaven. It just means that even as they're trying to worship the living God, they are under the oppression of the enemy who keeps, like Sanballat, trying to mess with them. And so it's very necessary for us as Christians, as believers, to survey our wall, to keep building. No time for chit-chat with the enemy. We keep building. We keep building because we must finish the wall. We have to, at some point, be able to say the wall was finished up to four feet. We had half the wall there. We've got to be able to say that. And then we want to be able to say that we had built the whole wall and now we're spending, we're, we're surveying. And this is a spiritual protection. This is something that is beautiful. And what I, what I love about this is in this scenario here, we have a place of worship and we have a place of safety to bring our children to show them about worship. And it's not, it's not only, it's not just a, a if you look at this, scenario and you think about all the walls that have to be built all the way around, we're not just saying we want to protect our children. For instance, a year ago when COVID was coming out and, and so the whole 100% goal was to protect one area here. And as, as, as we were being told that we need to protect ourselves from a physical ailment that could come, what was not in the discussion was, what about our spiritual well-being? What about our emotional well-being? Those things weren't being talked about as they should have been. When we have a problem in our society, we cannot just reinforce and build one area and think that that will take care of things. So as a family, as an individual, as a church fellowship, as a community, as a government, we have to be aware of the whole human being. And this is what being a father is, is it means that we care about every part of our children and we want them to be able to not just survive, we want them to be able to thrive. And so we must not become fixated with one thing because you can, you can work so hard on the physical education and the physical health 
side of things and, and raise a whole bunch of perfectly healthy atheists. You can do that. And that's not useful for the kingdom, and that's not useful for what we want. We want to see children who are well-rounded. So what's, what I think that I learned in watching my own parents is that it is more important for me as a child, not that these walls are perfect and that everything is right, but I saw my parents sword in one hand and the building tools in the other hand and they were working to protect us but to direct us to Jesus. They were saying we've got to worship God first and then we've got to build these things. So this is what I saw. And as I saw them at that, that was me going as a child, I want to do the same thing. I want to pick up the sword. And I was a little concerned at one point in my life that all the battles would be fought before I got there. And I would get there with my sword <sighs> empty stage, nothing. I need not have worried. There have been plenty of battles. And there will always be plenty of battles and there will be plenty of rebuilding for each of us to do. And so this is really what I think of a Father's Day. This is, the, this is a man's life work. I am not just protecting myself and making sure that I'm worshiping God. I'm, this is part of what I'm walking with my wife for. This is what I'm walking with my sons for. This is what I'm doing. It's my life work is to look at all the areas and I want to thrive and prosper. And so that when I tell someone that we can follow Jesus, I don't just mean you can be saved and one day go to heaven, but I mean here and now, Jesus is at work and he wants to do something through you now. So it's time for us as we wish each other Happy Father's Day, as we go about loving each other and, and, and showing compassion to each other, we need to, once in a while, take a walk around the walls. I, I personally love, uh, the other night I was outside in South Texas, it was so hot during the day, I get out, you know, about 11 o'clock, it's finally cooling off a bit, and I'm out there, all the stars up there, the cicadas down here, and I'm just, I'm just thinking, and I thought, how many times in my life have I been out in that same humid, hot Texas air because I was seeking the Lord. In 1998, when I was needing, I felt God calling me to be a filmmaker, I walked out underneath those very same stars in that very same moist, hot air, and that's where I said, Lord, I want to be yours. Use me however you want. And so there's so many times when I've had to withdraw from people, and it was basically what Nehemiah was doing. And in the night, away from the noise of the city, without prying eyes, he rode around that city and he looked at all the walls. He, he surveyed the city. He made a decision on what needed to be done, what had to be done, and he built the walls. And so now not only did they have a place of worship, but they had a place of protection to be able to bring their children and their families up to worship the Lord. And so I'm sure there's holes in my metaphor, as there are holes in our walls, but there's, this is a picture that God has given us through Nehemiah, through Ezra, and I think we can learn from this and we can be encouraged by this. That even if we are, you know, if the enemy comes against us, why does the enemy care what you're doing? And so the very fact that you're being attacked because you're trying to build shows you that you're, that, that you're if, the, if the enemies of God become your enemies, that's an encouragement thing. That's an encouraging thing. You want to keep it that way because you want God fighting on your behalf. And so we don't want to allow them in. And by all means, we don't want to open the gate and say, come on in, live in my temple like they did in Nehemiah. We would want them to stay out. This is holy between us and God. And then this is our place where we, where we are thriving and helping others around us thrive. And then because of that, we are the city on a hill and we are able to take the gospel to the nations and we're able to help them. And, and Jesus came and he found the broken and the needy and he healed them. 
He didn't say, well, your wall is broken down because you're not very smart. He said, if you have faith, and they would say, I believe, and God would heal them and bring all kinds. It was amazing if you see what Jesus did. He was helping people build these walls, find this place of worship. And these are not walls that wall us off from each other. In fact, if I'm healthily walking here, and you're healthily walking here, we can come together and be very open and honest. Like, you know, if I'm doing well financially, I'm willing to talk to you about finances. If I'm not doing well financially, I'm like, well, you know, you know if I ask you, like, how are your investments doing? Well, <clears throat> Bitcoin, uh, you know, down, it's not good, you know, all, whatever. But if, if you're confident with what you're doing financially, and I'm confident with what I'm doing, we can talk. And even if you are a multimillionaire and I have, you know, my $10,000 in the bank, we can still talk and we can talk on the same because we're healthy there. If emotionally we have forgiven our parents and we have dealt with our past and, you, and we can talk about that very openly. But if one of us is still stuck with the wall down, we can't even have Christian fellowship there. So this is something that is so beautiful when we have everything built in our life, it enables us to interact with others in a much healthier way. And as, you know, as a man, and you know, we've been going through the Conquer series talking about sexual addictions and things, and one of the things that I've learned in going through there is just thinking, if I have a clear conscience, if I am not fantasizing, if I am not indulging in anything over here, that enables me to have a much better clarity in, dis in discussing and helping and talking with other people. If I'm hiding anything from anyone, then it makes it difficult for me to tell what's rubbish and what's the building block. And so it's really good for us to take full stock. And don't just think, I, I just need the place of worship. We need the place of worship. We need to be saved. We need to be right with God. But then look and say, where else do I need to be? So that's my message for Father's Day. Hopefully it is encouraging. And I want us to you know, stay in the battle, to be faithful, but to always be going in with our sword in one hand and our building tools in the other and to not allow ourselves to be distracted by the enemy outside. Um, we've got to stay focused on what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us in scripture very detailed accounts of the rebuilding of the walls. Lord, it took them 52 days. That was longer than they wanted to be working, but it was a lot quicker than they thought it would be done. And it's the same for us, Lord. The work that you want to do in our life might take us longer than we wish, but it's a lot quicker than we expect it to be. And so, Father, we want to be faithful in seeking you first, that we would first seek your kingdom and your righteousness, and then that we would have all of these things be added to us, Lord, correctly. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. I pray you'd bless each of the dads that are represented in our fellowship and for those who feel like many walls are broken, Lord, I pray that you'd give, the, give us hope that we can repent and turn to you and see the walls restored. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.